Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. So I recorded this episode, and as I got ready to, to, to publish it, it occurred to me that maybe the theme that's buried in a lot of this, there's a, there's a little discussion of, of, of game mechanics in response to the prompts, and, um, you know, we're talking more about role-playing of the past, you know, um, how did we get into role-playing, and, and what were those early experiences, and I guess the central theme that I, I probably talked around and, and, and didn't put the point on is friends. I mean, this is, this is, this is, uh, talking about role-playing games, you know, your, your, my, my past in, in role-playing games and what did or didn't happen. And, but, but, but I think the, 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 I guess the take-home message here is friends. You know, RPGs are about friends. Uh, and I've made lots of good friends along the way. And so, um, I think that's a, I just want, I just wanted to put this, this quick segment in here before I, I start the episode as I originally recorded it. So, yeah, the take-home message for week two for me is it's all about friends. All right, it's RPG a day, week two. I'm, I'm getting this out a couple days late. Sorry for that if anybody was eagerly waiting. I, I doubt anybody lost any sleep wondering where my my podcast was. <laughs> but um, it'll be late Tuesday when this drops, I think, and... Uh, so we'll have to rewind to, to Sunday of this week. Sundays have a slightly different prompt. So for Sunday, August 7th, the question is, or it's called System Sunday, this is the prompt, describe a cool part of a system that you love. Uh, wow, that's hard to narrow it down. But uh, as I thought about this prompt, I think the two, couple things. I really like, 5th edition D&D's advantage and disadvantage mechanic. Um, and I know it, I don't think that's the first system to ever use that type of role. You know, just add us. If you're going to roll two dice, add a third one and then take the two best, you know. I mean, you know, roll 46 and t- drop the lowest for ability scores is sort of a thing like that. But as far as just the way advantage, now we're using it. I know there's a Mongoose's Traveler uses a... Second edition Traveler uses the same, the same thing where you're rolling 2d6, you roll 3 and take the two best. Um, it, or with with a when, when you're, you've got some sort of, uh, I think they call them boons and banes, I can't remember what they call them in that. You roll 3d6, take the two lowest. But it's the same concept as advantage in 5th edition D&D of rolling 2d20s and take the better or the worse, depending on that. But I think I like the way that clears a lot of the mental calculations that a game master has to do with, well, should that be a plus one or a minus one or a plus three or a minus three or, well, you know, here there are four or five different factors that may stack or, or counter each other out. And you just say, look, this is a, this is a situation where you have because of one or more factors, advantages or, or one or more factors, you're you're at a disadvantage from what you were, what you would otherwise be. So it just cleans it up. I like that about fifth edition. Um, with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I like the three-action economy where it's just straightforward. Um, you don't, There's no bonus action. There's no swift action. There's no major action or minor action. It's just you have three actions. Uh, moving your, your movement speed is an action. 
and you can decide to move three times, move twice and do one other thing, move two other things and move once, stand still and do three things. And it, it just, it's very simple. I, I think what you're going to see, I'm, the theme I'm going for here is anything that makes it simple and speeds up the decision making while you're playing um, and not not having to calculate and do a lot of, um, hmm, <laughs> if I do this, what if I do that? Well, if I do this, does this set off a reaction? What if I do that? Well, can I use a bonus action or not? No. It's just very straightforward. And of course, you've got things like spell casting and some other stuff that take two actions, but it's pretty easy to learn that. Um, so I really enjoy that part of um, of uh, Pathfinder Second Edition. Another mechanic. Let's let's go old school that I like, or not old school itself, but at least OSR. I like the way Swords and Wizardry gives you a single save mechanic. Um, I, I know that that involves rethinking. Um, a little bit of the, the it doesn't involve rethinking the math. I'm, I'm making it more complicated. One of the things that Swords and Wizardry says that you can allow as an option is to then to, you can decide sort of what ability score is relevant. You know, if, if a person's trying to dodge a lightning bolt, that's probably dexterity. If a person's trying to um, ward off a poison effect, that's constitution and so forth. And you can allow the player to apply their ability score adjustment to their role, but you've got a fixed target number no matter what you're saving against. And it gets better. It doesn't get better with level, so it's still primarily a factor of the, char the character's level, not so much their ability score. It's just the ability score can give a little tweak here or there to flavor it. But even if you don't use the ability score, I do like that simple uniform mechanic. You know, whenever you roll a saving throw, you know what you're trying to beat. Um, you don't have to consult charts or tables on your... And I know it's not that hard. There's five saves at old school. But again, anything that simplifies conceptually, you don't have to think about it. You can just do it and look at the die result and know, yes or no, I got it or I didn't. You know, And it's easy to make a ruling. Um, I think with Swords and Wizardry doing that, you can also use the saving throw as a wider um, – in, in a wider sense – like back when in the early days of Swords and Wizardry, um, I remember when when the first white box came out, there was no thief class in it, and uh, some people, you know, other people developed thieves very quickly for the game. But one suggestion was to use the saving throw in place of thief skills, and just say, well, you know, let a thief make a saving throw with their dexterity bonus for, um, and there it improves incrementally, level by level, in a predictable way. It's a little easier than having five or six different percentiles to look at. Um, and uh, Or you could use it as, you know, you, anytime you want to, if an ability check doesn't seem right, a saving throw seems appropriate, but you're not sure what saving throw it is, well, this this just lets you use the saving throw because it doesn't matter. You don't have five different saves. You just got the one value. So I, I like the Uniford saving throw when it comes to old school style games. Um so those are, are some of the mechanics that I, I like from different systems. I'm trying to think if there's any other uh, that I really, you know, think about. When I think about Frankensteining together my own system, those are those are three things I consider like those would be good. Uh, I think similar to the similar the, the uniform saving throw, one thing that's very cool about index card RPG is just where you um, – is it in text hard? I may be thinking of five E hard mode. It's one of Rune. It's one of Runehammer's methods, where I actually think it's five E hard mode. Where thirteen. That's 
13 is the target for any ability or skill check. That's it. 13. Um, you know, your, your competent adventurer, 13 is, is harder than 50-50 chance. Um, but, but, you know, with your proficiency and your, your, your ability scores, you, you know, a really competent person can be, can get a 13 more of the time. And then there's a, I think instead of using a advantage and disadvantage on the rolls, he just says plus or minus three. I'm, I don't know. I have the book in front of me. I'm drawing off the top of my head, but I think that's 5e hard mode. It might be ICRPG. I'm, I'm sure Jason can let me know whether I botched that and whether it's ICRPG or not. Um, but again, I, as, as, you, as you can see, I like things that just simplify target numbers, minimize the number of rolls, make it very simple to just say, here, roll against this number and either have advantage or disadvantage or we're always going to go with a plus three or a minus three. Um, I just think those are, you know, I prefer a game that runs smoothly at the table where we're not stumbling over the mechanics and, and the, the things keep moving at, at a swift pace. Um, you know, anything that can keep either the GM or the player from having decisional paralysis or having to take time and, and draw their turn out while other people are waiting. I, I think, you know, the, the faster things go, turn to turn to turn to turn, the more engaging and the more exciting uh, the game is. And you can you you can see what happens, cheer, shake your head, sigh, giggle, laugh at the silliness of it, whatever, whatever happens, and then you can move on to the next thing and the game keeps going. So those are the kinds of mechanics that I tend to enjoy in um in different systems and that was all wow an eight minute seven and a half eight minute response for one simple prompt <laughs> wow okay let's take a look at the uh the questions for this week uh for august the 8th monday august the 8th who introduced you to role-playing games um that was my friend brian uh brian we i, li- I lived in a really small town um so you know Probably two-thirds of the people that I graduated high school with were also in my kindergarten class <laughs> when we started elementary school. Uh, Brian was a, another kid in my, you know, from kindergarten on. Um, we were really, got to be good friends, um, had a lot in common in terms of uh, interest in science fiction and fantasy. We were both pr- you know, pretty good students and, and, and you know, together an academic bowl and but but even before we had formal school activities together we were just kind of a group of, of of three or four really close friends I, I'd always considered him one of my my two best friends uh growing up um anyway we were in the, either in the seventh or eighth grade and he I lived in town and he lived out in the country and so he also got to know some of the older kids on the bus that lived out kind of in this this rural neighborhood that he lived in uh and a lot of some of them played D&D so they they were high school kids but they introduced him to D&D and then a few months later he introduced D&D to 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 me and a couple of other our our good friends um and so Brian was the one who introduced us to D&D and I think he he was really kind of cool I don't know what <laughs> I he I think he was using first edition rules he didn't really have all the books he he would just like study intently the books of the his DM um, and just memorize stuff, and then then he made characters for us, and would run us through some scenarios, um, and then he eventually acquired some some of the, you know the monster manual and and some stuff on his own. Um, but that was um, that was the guy that introduced me to role playing games. It's kind of a bittersweet to to talk about him. Um, he uh, 
was going to att- leave and attend high school at the Oklahoma School of Science and Mathematics. He's very, you know, he's a very good student, very bright, um, and that was his. Uh, and he and I were always kind of neck and neck for <laughs> who was the going to be the valedictorian of our class. Uh, even in junior high, I think everybody knew that was how it was going to come out. But uh, in ninth grade, he was going to go to um, to this. Uh, I think I don't know if it's privately. Or, I think it's partially publicly funded, but it is a pro. It is a you know you have to apply and get in, and and the school of science and mathematics. So he was going to go live there through the years, and was not going to be part of our. I mean, we probably see him. We're going to see him in the summers, but it was a great opportunity for him, particularly for a, a poor kid from poor backcountry Oklahoma. Um, but the summer before he was going to move uh, and start, he took a job at one of the local sand plants to, to, get, to, to, to get some money. And uh, he fell off the truck back of a, of a truck and it backed over him and, and he died. And it was very just first time I ever lost a friend um, my age. Uh, the only people I'd ever lost before were sort of older relatives who were pretty, pretty, uh, you know, 70s and 80s. So um, I've kind of wondered from time to time if, if he had uh, gone on and, and, and if he had lived and, and finished school there, would, would we have wound up going to college at the same place? Would we have reconnected or would we have reconnected to, to get back together and start playing D&D in the world of the Internet now? Um, but but yeah, that's who introduced me to the D and D. My friend Brian and I, and I, I know he's kind of with me in spirit every time I play. So a um, little bit. All right, the next question for um, for August 9th, What is the second RPG you ever bought? The second RPG I ever bought was Warhammer Fantasy. Second edition, I believe. Yeah, um, I you know played D and D. Started we started off with kind of a, a first edition, very quickly transitioned to second edition because it came out within a year or so of when when I first started playing. Uh, and then I played second edition all through high school and college. Never got into the other really role playing game. I took a break for about four or five years. Um, uh, while I was in grad school, and then uh, then afterwards got back into D anD D. By by then that was third edition, and I've I've kind of played every edition of D anD D since then. Um, but probably the the second one I actually bought when when I got back into third edition D anD D. Some of the people I started playing with also played Warhammer, so I I bought that so like we could play Warhammer Fantasy, and so that's where we uh, that was the second game I ever bought. I really like Warhammer uh, as well. Um, I, I probably should have mentioned I do like the, the way the, the careers work in Warhammer's little mini. You know, you, you can do so many levels of this, and then at some point you can transition, and you can kind of... That's pretty cool. I, I don't know if I... Why I didn't think to listen to that under my mechanics I like. But, um... So, yeah, that was the second one I bought. Let's see. The, uh... For the 10th, what... When did you start game mastering? I started game mastering... What year would that have been? It's really when you consider that I've been playing D and D since the late eighties. It, it actually took me quite a while to get into game mastering. I, um, I may have ran one or two sessions when I was in high school, uh, just just kind of one off sessions, goofing around with friends. 
Um, but I really, really started doing it, um, oh, kind of towards the end of the 3-5 run. Um, I kind of wanted to for a long time, but I, you know, like I said, I took off for a few years and uh, got back into third and, and, and just relocated um, and just looking for other gamers and um, kind of got in with a group where they had a DM and then that guy moved on. So I, I stepped up and DM'd a couple times and then that group didn't last very long, but then I thought, I'm just going to start my own group. And so I did. And I, some of those, that group in particular, still uh, a couple, three of those guys still game with me online, you know, pretty much every, every week or two. So that, that was a really good group that, that um, you know, I played with for a solid probably six years, not six years, six years. <laughs> I played with them for, for a solid 10 or 11 years. And when I had to move, they were all eager to, to, to keep that group together playing online. Um, so, uh, so that, that's, uh, but that's when I started game mastering. It probably would have been around 2004, 2005 when I, when I started doing it. Um, and I, of course, since I've gone back and run older systems, some of the older systems that I never, you know, never DM'd when they were the systems of the day. Um, August 11th, if you could live in a game setting, where would it be? <laughs> wow, that's a, that's, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as, as adventurous a person as I like to pretend as the characters I like to play. If I was going to play in a, in a role-playing game setting, I would probably pick the most modern, safe, <laughs> advanced technologically for Star Trek. I know Star Trek is a role-playing game, but it's a role-playing game based on a different independent IP. So I don't know if that's a fair thing is that's not a, that's not a setting that was created specifically for a role-playing game. Um, I probably live in traveler in some kind of safe, um, the tra the, you know, the the thir the the third imperium of man on some very safe settled um civilized planet where i could uh i could have access to the the, the best possible education healthcare and uh, conveniences so yeah not not much of an adventure in that regard if i'm being honest with myself if i had to be an adventurer and live in any of the fantasy settings i've uh, i've i've seen in games um Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's probably a toss-up between um, Fan Forgotten Realms and Eberron. Uh, those are the two that come to mind that, that I would probably want to live in. Um, why? I don't know. Familiarity, maybe? <laughs> I feel like I know those places well enough to, 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 to live which is kind of odd because, you know, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a it's a funny question. I wish I had a better way to explain why those fantasy settings. Um, again, maybe it's because I know they're they're relatively safe havens in those places if you know where to look. Uh, let's see, for the twelfth, why did you start RPGing? Well, my friend Brian asked me to play. That was it. He's he's like I got this cool idea. I I honestly have no conscious memory of how we started. I kind of have the the story and the time, but but the exact conversation. 
I don't know if he was saying, I'm, I've been, hey, guys, have you guys ever heard of D&D? I'm playing with these other guys. Maybe we could play some. I really don't know how we, we got together that first time to play. But I know we were hooked <laughs> once we did it. Um, and then for the 13th, how would you change the way you started RPGing? I don't know. I really don't know if I, how I would change it. Um, in terms of how I started, I wish I had been exposed earlier to a broader swath of role-playing games. Uh, again, I mentioned you know we lived in this really little town of like less than eight hundred people uh, in, in 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 rural Oklahoma, and so. Um, it's pretty interesting that anybody was even playing D and D, but but that was the only game, only game people played. Um, nobody was really playing Traveler or Marvel superheroes or or um, uh, RuneQuest or or any of the other games that would have been out at the time, uh, and so that's probably why I just kind of stuck with D and D until. You know, I was old enough and had a little more disposable income and, and some time to, to explore other role-playing games. Um, but I kind of wish I'd been exposed to a, a broader genre and, and a broader system of games early on um, when, I, when I was a kid as opposed to most of those coming as, as an adult. So, all right, that is it for week two of RPG A Day. And so now we will take some calls uh, and some feedback from my show from week one. So here we go. Hey, BJ, Jason here. Listen to your RPG Day D&D with Kids. I was thinking of other good games that kind of teach the game or teach what RPGs are and how to do it. And I don't keep up with the new games so much, but the first edition of Star Wars, you know, West End Game Star Wars did a really good job of setting the stage there pictures from the movie and giving good references and I think first edition of Star Wars is a really good one in that regard as it I Ghostbusters actually as well West End Games Ghostbusters and also Marvel Superheroes was a good one TSR's Marvel Superheroes is a good one of course all those are properties that are IPs and you can't buy the, buy them today you have to go find used copies but yeah, I think they all did a good job. Jason, I would very much agree that those are good starting games. I, th- I think the, the West End game, Star Wars, has a very simple and easy to understand with, with its D6 system. And I think with, between Star Wars, Ghostbusters, and Marvel superheroes, um, those are concepts, I would say, when we were kids in the 80s, but I think this is relevant now because of the... You know, Star Wars has, has been back for quite a while, as has Marvel, but then, you know, Ghostbusters kind of captured the imagination of, of uh, kids again with the, the latest movie. But those are, I do think it's easy for people to get into role-playing probably with an IP they're familiar with. If they're familiar with Star Wars, they know what Star Wars stories and adventures are like. They know what a Ghostbusters movie is like. They know what a, a Marvel movie or a Marvel comic book is like, um, which might be a little easier to approach, particularly back when, when fantasy wasn't. I, I don't know, fantasy may be very approachable now, but, but back in the, the, the 70s and 80s, I think it might not have been easy, easily approachable um, for, for some people who had never role-played or who, who maybe that wasn't their their thing, but they would have known who 
they would know what superheroes were, and they would have known Star Wars, and they would have known Ghostbusters. So yeah, I think pairing that with an IP that has you know images of of, of the ships and the characters and the, the monsters or ghosts or whatever the whichever one you're you're dealing with um, helps people get in the mindset. Okay, this is the world I'm going to have, and I'm kind of familiar with this versus trying to maybe get someone who's not done a lot of D and D style fantasy. <laughs> Or whatever the fantasy of the day is, I guess, I guess you know, now though, well, we're going to have a D&D movie next year, so so people will be aware of that if for some reason they're not now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think people coming into fantasy now would probably be thinking more Lord of the Rings or um, the movies, or probably, you know, particularly kids now will be thinking Harry Potter, and um, I wouldn't think, I hope to God kids are thinking Game of Thrones. And people in their 20s, maybe. But I'm thinking of kids kind of my son's age who are, they're not ready for Game of Thrones. Um, but yeah, I think those are all great suggestions, Jason. And as always, thanks for the call. Hey, BJ, this is Carl. Thanks for your RPG a day weekly. I think uh, I might go that route as well. I was just debating on whether I was going to do it this year. I the questions kind of threw me off, but after listening to you and to Runeslinger, to Anthony Boyd's podcast about it, I think I've got some inspiration. Most likely, I'm not going to do it today. Um, I'm prepping for some other games, and but I might do it like on the Thursday because that's like the day in the middle, right? If you start, if you go Monday to Sunday, that's three days on either side. So I probably will. Hopefully, I'm shooting for Thursday to get this out, but thanks uh, for the inspiration, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Carl. Always glad to be of, of service. Glad I could inspire you there a little bit. Um, looking forward to hearing your thoughts with the, all the prompts for, the, for, for this month. And, um, yeah, what more can I say? Um, I patiently await your next episode. Hey, BJ. It's Anthony calling in from the road, of course. And I enjoyed listening to your podcast yesterday on the first day of RPG A Day. I wound up not having time to reach out to you then, but now that I'm trapped in the car, I've had loads of time. I'm glad to hear that you're going to be involved in helping kids and introducing kids uh, to playing role-playing games. That's awesome. Uh, It's something that I do from time to time myself and you know, help them uh, work with you know, creative writing projects uh, as, a, as a side. <laughs> That's probably the goal, but to me it's, it's the side project of the gaming. But I think that to have someone help newcomers navigate those early days of playing is incredibly valuable. You know, when I think about how so many people you know, in their their 40s and 50s and, and 60s talk about, you know, how difficult it was for them to figure the rules out on their own uh, or how difficult it was for them to figure the rules out because they were very young, things like that, or because they, they lacked experience uh, with the games that loaned their nomenclature and, and their terms to early role-playing games, uh, you know, skirmish games and war games, that if there had been someone there to ease the whole group through those temporary roadblocks, then more people might have stuck with it. 
I think there's a lot of value to the very dedicated and the, the very engaged uh, gamers who persevered on their own. I think, you know, those of us who did that, I think there's a, there's a lot of value there. And it's, it's understandable why role-playing games became such a, a lifelong pursuit. But at the same time, we hear stories of how many people, well, you know, I used to play as a kid, but then I drifted away from it. Or whatever, you know, for whatever reason they drifted away from it. And I wonder if it could have been an, an even just an on-again, off-again part of their lives in a more distinct way if there had been someone there to guide them through it. So through after-school programs or library programs or community outreach programs, the scouts, whatever, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but just as an aside, how do we know that we are not related? I went to a family reunion once, a long, long time ago. I'm trying hard to think when it was, sometime in the very early 80s, and was blown away that there was almost a thousand people there, and a significant portion of them came from the United States. So, you know, there's a chance. <laughs> anyway, take care. Hey, Anthony. Yeah, I, it is um, an excellent point of uh, how many people would have maybe stuck with gaming if an adult had been there to sort of referee, you know, organize and referee the, uh, you know, whether it's refereeing as GM or just as an adult kind of monitoring one, one kid being the GM for other kids. <laughs> Some of the, uh, oh, you know, the social contracts and the, the, the norms and the civility and the you know, things like that, that that might not make, you know, you kind of get sometimes a little more formal organization in, in, in clubs and organizations. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and also to encourage people when they're not having fun to, to be able to recognize this person isn't having fun. Let me ask them what would make this more fun for them and encourage them to find a way to enjoy the hobby. Obviously, you don't want to twist somebody's arm to keep going if they're really not having a good time, but... Um, you know, if you see people kind of, uh, I think those are things as adults we tend to notice, um, but maybe as kids, either we don't notice or we do notice, but we just don't know what to do about it yet. Whereas adults, we maybe have a little more idea of how to to uh, have those conversations. Um, so I, I, I'm, yeah, eagerly awaiting to see how this goes with me, uh, with the kids I played with, I'm going to play with, and I'm, I'm also you hear more how Colin, who does the uh, um, Spike Pit podcast. You know he's he's become a teacher now. He's in his first year as a teacher over in the UK and is is starting up a D and D club. My son was really looking forward to a D and D club at his school uh, this year, and then the the, the teacher who ran it uh, left and took a job in another school district. And we don't know if it's going to, you know, a new teacher will have to start over. Who knows? Maybe we'll get him to start his own with a little. You know, <laughs> they're there at the school. He's kind of eager to start learn, learning how to, to be a DM. Um, but yeah, good points all around for, um, uh, you know, how people can sort of keep, keep others engaged with the hobby and the way they promote it and the way they encourage it and the way they, you know, uh, reach out to people and, 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 and continue to create a place for people to come and, and feel comfortable and, and enjoy the game. So... As far as us being related, I don't know. My my dad's family is not real good at uh, keeping up with extended family. So so uh, you know, if you've got some 
American relatives from either Texas or the Oklahoma City area. Maybe, maybe we are related. I, uh, you know, there's probably you know at least a chance everybody with the same surname somewhere is related way back. Um, you know, if my understanding is Boyd is a is a Gaelic name from from Scotland, so uh, maybe we should all just everybody with that name should have a big pilgrimage to, to Scotland and, and see see if we can find our, our common ancestors. Anyway, thanks always for the call. And once again, thank you for uh, coordinating RPG a day every month. Um, and I'll talk to you later. All right, that's the show. I want to thank my callers, Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents, Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and Anthony Boyd of Casting Shadows three really good podcasts that you can also find here on Anchor uh, or on pi- find podcatching services everywhere. Be sure and check them out. I'll be back with another episode sooner or later. Thanks for listening to the Arcane Alienist podcast. The music you're hearing is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. The cover art I use for the episodes is by Dave Bone. Be sure and check out his website, ironseer.com, for a lot of other great gaming-related content. You can always leave me a voice message through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, or you can email me at arcane.alienist at gmail.com. Once again, I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much.